1: and I have an exciting show for you today. I'm excited to be joined uh, by representatives from a, a couple of really neat digital initiatives uh, within the federal government. And um, you know, having having done a lot of uh, of work and and coverage of a sort of agency news and and goings on in the federal government, um, there's sort of a trend that. The bad news tends to get uh, in most of the, the airtime, which is, is uh, traditionally the case, I guess, uh, on, on any issue. But um, we have representatives from from Library of Congress labs and challenge.gov. And so I thought it'd be interesting this morning to highlight uh, a couple of really neat digital initiatives that I think uh, a lot of people probably don't know about. And I think that they, they stand as examples of sort of government doing government well, which is something that uh, is not not often highlighted, I think. So uh, I'm joined by uh, Kate Zward of the Library of Congress, specifically Library of Congress Labs. Uh, she's a chief of dig- uh, national digital initiatives at the Library of Congress, uh, and then I'm also joined by uh, Tammy White of uh, Challenge.gov. Uh, so thanks, guys, for for being here this morning.
2: Thank you um, so much for having us.
1: So I guess I just wanted to get into a little bit. Uh, Library of Congress Labs is a fairly new initiative. When did it actually launch?
2: Uh, we launched earlier this year. Earlier so, this year, okay. Yeah. So
1: it's still, still sort of getting off the ground. And what, what went into the uh, to that launch was that something within the Library of Congress that uh, sort of internal team members said, "Hey, you know, let's do this," or or was it a, an outside influence? Or how did it actually start?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um, it's really shaped. It was really shaped by Dr. Hayden's idea that we should be opening up the institution as much as possible. That as America's library, we should be. Really for all Americans, and I know from personal experience that some people think the Library of Congress isn't for them. It's kind of a foreboding institution, and she really wanted to turn that around. Um, and and she also wants to um, think in new ways and be innovative. And it was sort of a way that we could build in some structural innovation, if that makes sense. Um, that we could think of a way to allow a space to be innovative, to move fast, and to reduce the friction in um, friction to innovation, um, because the the big the largest Job of the library is production work, so it's cataloging books. It's making sure that things are available to patrons, and that work is so important. It needs to be um, it needs to be protected. So if you're going to do innovative work, if you're going to move fast and break things, as people say, um, it's helpful to have that seg- segregated to a to a to a group that can do that and without impacting the regular production work of the library.
1: And just for context, your role with Library of Congress Labs, you are you're directing the entire labs initiative, or uh, maybe that's even you know, not specific enough. What, what, what are you actually doing with our, yeah, ours? That's, labs?
2: That's a, uh, so we have uh, actually about four, four staff people on, on labs itself, but we work closely with um, other folks in our IT department, the OCIO, and with folks in the curatorial divisions. So um, while we're a small staff of directly, um, we loop in a lot of people. So all of our work really is an effort of the library as a whole.
1: It's pretty impressive that I know just having looked at some of the original or these initial um, projects you guys are working on, they're pretty lofty. Uh, and so to be to have such a small team working on this, I assume, um, what does your staff look like? Is it a lot of uh, heavy data, you know, uh, techie type people, I assume, given the kind of the, the demands, it must be something like that?
2: Oh, actually, um, so um, I'm a software developer. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to run the software development shop for the digital library. Um, but the rest of the folks on the team are... Um, kind of straddle the line between um librarians and technical sides that we have got two um two library school trained people um but mostly they're really interested in digital transformation so um it's it's a really interesting time to see this um stem and soft sciences or like library sciences mm-hmm. kind of mesh together and i think that is really reflected in the um in our team
1: and so the first uh, the first project you guys started working on out of the gate, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, Beyond Words. Is that correct? Yeah. And can you can you sort of give uh, uh, an overview of, of that project? I believe it's kind of crowdsourcing or you're searching uh, uh, old newspaper headlines, but I don't really have a, a clear uh, a summary of it.
2: Yeah, this is what I'm really excited about. And actually, it's part of that innovative um, spirit that the team is built on. Um, so it was part of our program that we're piloting and called it an Innovator in Residence. Um, and we wanted to build this out over a period of years. So the first year, we advertised it internally only. So invited um, people who had coding skills or technical expertise to come and do a short, um, short time with us in labs to do something innovative, to do something exciting. And a software developer named Tong Wang came to work with us for a few months, and he was really interested in crowdsourcing. And it's something that we've done through the Flickr app uh, I, I don't know if, uh, how familiar people are with that, but it's a website to put your photos on, and we put Library of Congress photos on up there, and uh, people can tag it and add add contextual information. But it wasn't anything that we had built custom to built an application to do before. So um, Tong wanted to try that. Um, and what he built was based on um, a platform built by New York Public Library Labs in Zooniverse called Scribe. and it allows people to um, look at historic World War World War II newspapers. And uh, I'm sorry, World War I newspapers, and identify cartoons and pictures in those newspapers and transcribe them. And uh, what that gets you is this, is this data catalog of historic cartoons from that era. So it gives us a window into what, how was humor back then? How did it change over the course of the war? How did how, how were women's roles viewed in popular culture? And newspapers are this really interesting window into the average American daily life that it's such a special thing. And what I really like about it is, um, well, it gives us this, this really cool data set. Um, but the thing that I think is the most exciting is it gets the average person poking through collections, mm-hmm. engaged with the collections mm-hmm. themselves. And I think that one of the core constituencies of the Library of Congress is the informed and curious. People who, um, I think we, we serve, we've put a lot of thought into how we can serve people with specific research needs. I think we do that really well, but how do we serve people who are just interested in things? And I think mm-hmm. crowdsourcing is a great way to serve those folks.
1: Uh, I spent a, <clears throat> excuse me I spent a little bit of time uh, on Capitol Hill and had had the opportunity to to explore the Library of Congress a little bit, which was you know, unbelievable. Um, when you're you, know, you have such a small team and access to the Library of Congress, <laughs> which is sort of daunting, I would imagine. Uh, what goes into to deciding you know we're going to do beyond words? We're going to focus on World War One newspapers. Is it uh, Sort of a public-facing thing where you want to make this data accessible to to researchers, or is it for uh, you know for internal library purposes to be able to have now these transcribed images? What what are sort of the thought processes that go into deciding this is what we're going to do with our kind of limited resources?
2: So, Beyond Words is actually a proof of concept that we are trying out crowdsourcing at the Library of Congress at scale um, for different uh, different collections, and we hope to launch maybe next year a broader crowdsourcing platform where people can transcribe. Um, different collections. So um, uh, historic manuscript collections, I think, is something that I'm particularly excited about. Um, if you look at the historic manuscript collections, this historic handwriting is really hard for people to read. Mm-hmm. And so we digitize these things and put them online, um, but it's hard for people to, d- to decipher. Um, but if we could invite people to transcribe them, then they could look at the text itself. And I think that makes the material much more accessible.
1: And for anybody listening who is curious and, and wants to explore is the um actually accessing the beyond words that's you, you said this through flickr um is that i assume that's all also accessible through the actual library of congress labs website uh, access to those uh, archives and and all that
2: so the flickr project is um our prints and photographs and a couple other collections is available through flickr.com uh, but the beyond words website is, is separate and that's at beyondwords.labs.loc.gov
1: okay um so i guess uh, Beyond words, that's that's still ongoing, um, and so it's not. I know that you guys have also recently introduced your the innovator. Uh, probably brought on a new uh, innovator in in residence, um, and I believe that there was also an announcement uh, that your your next actual project is that correct? Uh, and so, what is the what is the forthcoming um, project that you guys are working on now?
2: Yeah, so we have a new innovator in residence this year. His name is uh, Jer Thorpe. And um, he's a data artist. Um, one of the things I really like about his work is that he explores scale mm. in data so that uh, it's really hard for humans to have a sense, for people to have a sense of what does 45 million records really, what really is that? Um, and also have a sense of like, what is the depth of an individual piece of data? Um, so his work, I think, really explores that. He, used to, he did a residency at the Muse- Museum of Modern Art exploring their catalog and did a series of, um, of um, performance art pieces based on that. It was really exciting. Um, he's been exploring some things at the Library of Congress. We've recently, as you mentioned, released, it, released all of our bibliographic records, um, so millions of bibliographic records um, describing the tangible holdings and the electronic holdings of the Library of Congress. Um, and he did a quick project called the Library of Names um, uh, where he kind of showed... The breadth and depth of the collection, but also the individual rich, richness of each one of those items. So, um, one of the one of the things that you can explore through this project is the names, the first names of people for for individual who publish things in an individual year. Mm. So, what do the first names look like in 1776 of people publishing books, and what do the first names look like in 1996, and are they different? Can you picture what those people look like? Can you imagine what their lives were like based on their names? And I think what art brings to this is a different way of understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he hasn't finished his final project. That'll happen in a few months. But we're really excited to see what he'll come up with.
1: That's really fascinating. And uh, we're going to continue talking about it. Uh, When we get back, we have to uh, take a quick break here. And we'll continue our discussion with uh, Kate Zward of the Library of Congress and Tammy White of Challenge.gov.
0: Welcome
1: back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. I'm your host Ben Carnes. Uh, I'm joined today by Kate Zwart of the Library of Congress and Tammy White of Challenge.gov, and uh, just talking about the two programs that they're working on, two really interesting uh, digital initiatives um, uh, that are ongoing and don't don't get a lot of attention necessarily uh, within the federal government. And Before the break, we were uh, talking about Library of Congress Labs and uh, their uh, current project, which is uh, a sort of data art um, based and uh, hi- highlighting different aspects of data through art. Um, and I know that uh, you're, you're also currently running the Congressional Data Challenge as well. Is that, is that right? That's right. And, and so the Congressional Data, what, what is the challenge aspect of the Congressional Data Challenge? What, are you, what is the need you're, you're seeking to meet?
2: So uh, one of the things that we're interested in doing with labs is to explore what's possible with digital collections that wasn't possible before. So one of the things I think is really exciting is, I mean, we can digitize a book and put it online, and you can turn pages and it basically becomes an exact surrogate for the physical item. But you can also think of, that, um, think of those words as data themselves and perform um, analysis in ways that were impossible. For example, with our historic newspaper collection, uh, 12 million historic newspaper pages, I can search for my address. That wasn't possible before, right? I could never, uh, with digital information, that's, that's now possible. Um, and so we're looking to sort of provoke people into thinking about what things they could do. Um, and we were really inspired by our friends at NEH who ran a data challenge around the historic newspaper collection last year. Tammy's probably yeah, familiar with it. I am. Um, it was really successful. So the uh, NEH and Library of Congress um, worked together on Chronicling America. We hold the um, we serve the collections, and they uh, pro- provide the programmatic support. Um, and they invited people to do interesting digital experiments with um, with their with the historic newspaper collection. And they got some really interesting results from that. And we want to do the same sort of thing with our congressional information. So um, as the Library of Congress, we produce and provide a lot of congressional information uh, on behalf of our um, colleagues on Capitol Hill, but also for the benefit of the American public. So things like legislative history, congressional bills, congressional laws. And um, it, that that is really well used. So people can look up their, um, you know, the, the latest bill, bill that's on Capitol Hill right now. Um, but we also wanted to provoke people into thinking about what's possible to think about this whole thing as a, as a data set. Um, so we started this challenge as an innovation as an invitation for people to experiment. And we um, our challenge.gov is graciously hosting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, so you can find it on challenge.gov. You can also find it on labs.lock.gov in our experiments section. Um, and we have a couple of prizes, um, five thousand for the winner. Um, 1,000 for the Best High School Project because we were um, really thrilled to see how many STEM programs and humanities programs in high schools are really getting into this. Um, We wanted to really encourage um, the younger folks to apply as well. We have a couple of honorable mentions too. So um, we have Best Legislative Tracking, Best Data Visualization, and the one that I'm the most excited about, which is Best Data Mashup. We want to encourage people to take a look at the congressional information, but also think about how Library of Congress collections might interact with that or other various data sources. Um, So I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of this. The deadline is April 2nd, and um, I'd be thrilled if people shared that with people they thought might be interested.
1: Okay. And, and the as far as like actually getting involved in, for example, the Congressional Data Challenge, what what, is that, what does that look like? If somebody wants to, you know, is it as simple as signing on uh, to, to the website and just, just kind of signing up and starting to participate? Or is there uh, yes, more to it? Yes, they'd have
2: to make a challenge.gov account, which is very easy. I'm mm-hmm. sure Tammy mm-hmm. will talk about that a little bit later. Um, and we're asking people to make basically a digital creation. So it can be a website, it can be a mobile app, it could be an interactive visualization. Um, the The field is really wide open. We want to encourage as much creativity as we can.
1: Well, that's it provides the perfect segue. Um, it's, that's sort of a um, you know one good example of what what challenge.gov is working on, which is essentially uh, crowdsourcing big problems that that various government agencies face. So I I find it personally amazing having logged on and just uh, you know checked out some of the the running challenges. Uh, I know there was one where NASA is looking for someone to help uh, create an aerosol you know, dispenser and the, this sort of thing. And mm-hmm. it ranges from from extremely complex to a little bit more simple, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, joined by uh, Tammy White, who works on Challenge.gov. Can you give us sort of sort of an overview of, of Challenge.gov and what the, the vision for it is and, and your involvement there?
3: Sure. Uh, um, I think, uh, first and foremost, it is the official listing of prize competitions across government. Um, That's the first thing that people would see, but really it's much more than that. It's a program that is designed to serve as a one-stop shop for federal agencies that are interested in exploring crowdsourcing mechanisms or reaching the informed and curious, as as Mm -hmm. Kate mentioned. Um, And so uh, what the program offers to federal agencies is a web platform for hosting the online component of their prize competitions. Um, We develop a series of trainings, online resources, like a toolkit that was crowdsourced with input from uh, folks working across government. Um, And we are working to provide mentors. So these are people who have run uh, prize competitions in government prior, um, and they can help folks who are new to crowdsourcing to think through uh, their competition design. Uh, We also provide a contracting vehicle to make it easier for agencies who might need a little bit more uh, help with getting their prize competitions off the ground or deeper expertise in competition design. Um, And so that contracting vehicle is on the GSA's professional services schedule. But I think that uh, perhaps the most valuable uh, uh, resource that the program pulls together is the network of over 750 people across government who are interested in crowdsourcing. Um, And, you know, we bring them together on a quarterly basis uh, to share best practices, learn from each other, sometimes think about partnerships like the Library of Congress had with um, NEH. So um, that's... That's our program.
1: When you refer to the 750,000, are those... 750. That's, oh, 750. 750, oh, Okay, 750. That's the the team that's ultimately working on challenge.gov or who, who the 750?
3: So these are the folks working across government um, on crowdsourcing competitions, crowdsourcing initiatives. Okay, I
1: see. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, is it? I guess I sort of have. Uh, maybe it's a flawed, uh, sort of almost romantic notion that you 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 know log on to challenge.gov and I have this this image of somebody you know in their basement, uh, sort of getting involved with yeah. something that uh, a challenge that NASA has, or wh- right. which is sort of an unbelievable thing. Is is that consistent with what you've experienced as far as who's actually participating? I mean, what what are the what are the backgrounds of well, the, they, the people who uh, they, work
3: they, on these problems? They may not be sitting in their basements, but yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's people from all walks of life, all age groups. Um, so I you know I like to say that the folks who are participating range from students on up to seniors, uh, all ages, you know man, men, women, uh, different backgrounds, educational backgrounds, career backgrounds. And I think what that brings us is a very broad talent pool of people that the government can tap into to help solve some of its challenges. Um, so you know, I, I think the goal of the program really is to help agencies, tap into the folks who are working outside of the typical contracting sphere. So uh, to get outside of working with the usual suspects, as we say. And so, um, you know, crowdsourcing allows you to find those people where they are, where they live. You know, um, they can be entrepreneurs, students, hobbyists, enthusiasts, um, you know, really people from, again, all walks of life, all different backgrounds that have an interest in participating in you know they're civic-minded and they have an interest in in helping the government solve a challenge
1: and so so challenge.gov is essentially um and maybe it's an oversimplification but i mean the the primary goal is almost an aggregator of sorts for for all of the agencies pulling together uh but the are there um overarching rules or, or requirements uh from challenge.gov that, that go into a challenge, or those are those are sort of independently determined by, say, NASA or whoever might be offering the challenge? Right.
3: So there are over 100 agencies that are using challenge.gov as resources to run crowdsourcing competitions, and all of them have their separate legal and acquisitions teams. They all have their own internal processes, um, and they may use different legal authorities to run their challenge competitions. So it really varies by agency. Um, You know, you could run a competition under the America Competes Authority or the American Innovation and Competitiveness Act, which passed in January. Um, You know, NASA has the Space Act. So uh, USAID has its own prize authority. So the rules may vary um, depending on the agency. um, But but, you know, I think there are enough legal authorities to give agencies the flexibility they need to target the solvers that they hope to target.
1: And I, uh, I definitely want to get into some of the the actual success stories. Might actually I talk about that a little bit more um, uh, after the break. But I, I was interested. Uh, you you discussed the uh, maybe it's getting into the weeds a little bit, but the um, the contracting vehicle because that's that's also sort of a different component. Not just an aggregator, but you're also then sort of enabling agencies uh, or making it easier for them to to be able to to crowdsource. So. Um, Essentially, I, what that would look like is that an agency would come to challenge.gov and say, you know, this is something that we would like to do, and then you serve again as the, sort of the facilitator to say, here are the steps that need to occur to make that happen. Um, what 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 is it that the the process actually look like if you're you're in an agency and you decide you want to, you know, break new ground and, and blaze <laughs> a new trail? Um, uh, how does that how does that actually work?
3: Well, I can tell you what we typically see when agencies approach us. And obviously there are some agencies that have been running challenges for a longer period of time. But um, for those folks who are coming to us for the first time, we like to try and make sure that we understand what their overarching goals are, to make sure that they have a certain baseline of information, um, and that they know what is available to them in terms of resources to support them. And so... They may be working to manage the competition on their own internally. Um, for some, it's a bigger endeavor, and they they want uh, a little bit more support and um, you know, project management and uh, marketing and outreach. And so, at that point, there are you know we will refer them to our schedule. Um, some agencies have their own blanket purchase agreements that make vendors available. Um, NASA has an IDIQ um, that makes. Um, uh, vendors available, but the goal is to make it easier for agencies to tap into vendors that have deep uh, competition design expertise um, and manpower to support the crowdsourcing competition. Um, and so, at GSA, it's the Professional Services Schedule 541-4G. I think it's the Advertising and Integrated Marketing um, Schedule. So. Um, you know, agencies would tap into that schedule or the NASA noise IDIQ or BPAs within their own agencies um, and and look for an, uh, a vendor who would be able to support them in the best possible way, depending on what they're looking to do. And there are vendors who um, work in, you know, specialize in specific areas like data science um, or, you know, Crowdsourced video, for instance. So it really depends on what the agency is looking to do. And when
1: was Challenge.gov actually established? How long has it been operating now?
3: It's been seven years. So Challenge.gov was established in 2010. Um, it was tapped by the Office of Management and Budget to serve as the central facilitator for federal crowdsourcing competitions. When I started with Challenge.gov in the 2015 timeframe, I think there were about 450 competitions on the site. Today, there are over 800 uh, competitions listed there. So that should give you a sense of how the program has really grown and expanded and how crowdsourcing really is becoming a much more standard tool. Uh, in government's toolbox. That's amazing.
1: And uh, when we get back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the success stories of of agencies that have been able to successfully crowdsource their problems uh, through uh, challenge.gov. And you're listening to uh, Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500. We'll be right back.
0: If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message.
1: Good morning, and welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500. Uh, we are talking this morning uh, with representatives from a couple of really interesting uh, federal digital initiatives: uh, Library of Congress Labs, which uh, re- uh, launched earlier this year, and then Challenge.gov, which is the crowdsourcing platform uh, through which agencies are able to uh, bring the general public in and uh, ask them to try to solve problems uh, ranging from <laughs> simple to extremely complex. and you know, just before the break, we, we were talking about challenge.gov, and I think you know, as I've, as I've explored the website and looked at the challenges, one of the natural questions that occurred to me was, has this worked, and, and what does that look like? Because, again, the idea of that mythical person in their basement uh, sitting and, and working on um, you know, uh, a challenge that maybe NASA is facing, and being able to, to to give some sort of information that might actually be helpful is is pretty fascinating. So, are there any especially notable success stories that you've seen um, through through Challenge.gov?
3: Uh, I think there are many. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one that really comes to mind uh, is the Desal the Prize, which was run by the um, U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID. Um, So USAID issued a challenge to create a cost-effective, energy-efficient, sustainable desalination technology. Um, And uh, there were uh, teams that participated from all over, uh, but the technologies that they developed are currently being tested now in India, in the Honduras. I mean, that is a pretty big game changer. I think that was a very successful um, challenge competition. We have agencies who've run competitions, again, that tackle these very complex issues, human trafficking, um, rebuilding after disaster, uh, like hurricanes. I'll mention that um, Rebuild by Design was another uh, crowdsourcing competition that was run by HUD. Um, In that competition, we had a team of, I think it was four women who brought forward an idea for um, building greater resiliency into their community so that in, in if confronted with a storm like Hurricane Sandy, they would be better prepared. And that has applications not just for that community, but also for others. If you can imagine translating that to what that means for folks to prevent, you know, the amount of disaster seen after Harvey and Irma. So um, that was a very successful challenge competition. We have um, innovators who have solved uh, prize competitions, and they've gone on to create very successful businesses from them. Um, the breast cancer startup uh, was a competition that was run by NIH. Um, the company that won, on- Oncolinx, uh developed a business strategy to um, – develop and market novel uh, toxins that could be used in therapies that target drug resistant tumors um, and for less money with fewer side effects. And so they're actually getting ready to take that to clinical trials. So that's huge. If you think about how many women that could reach. So I think there are just a tremendous number of successes. I think we often hear about what's happening with, you know, google's lunar prize and you know what's happening with spacex and hyperloop but there are challenges running across government that really are going to transform aspects of you know medicine transportation uh they're just so many and they're very exciting to follow
1: yeah and uh you know i i guess i wonder that having anybody who's maybe uh, i would say applied for a job with the federal government or done anything from from the, a general public sort of standpoint it can sometimes be uh, a little bit complicated mm-hmm. or <laughs> to, to, yeah. to deal with those processes so uh you know obviously challenge.gov is is simplifying what, what is a what is a very complex uh complex thing i guess when you log on into challenge.gov basically that is sort of your your single login to, to allow you to access all of these these different agencies so that you don't have to you know, go through different portals and create different logins and that sort of thing.
3: You, you, Ben, you can go to challenge.gov, you can create an account and then you can search and sort for challenge types uh, that you might be interested in. So what sort of skills do you have? What are your interest areas? Are you interested in software and apps? Are you interested in design? Are you interested in deeper scientific issues, you know, algorithms and data science? Um, are you interested in video? You can find those areas that align with your skill sets and you can see what's open um, and look at the requirements and submit. And, you know, I think we'd love to see you.
1: Yeah. I, I well, actually I have up. no skills at all, but <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the, the general sentiment. Um, that's that's really fascinating to me. And I, I guess that there's sort of a flip side of that question over at Library of Congress Labs uh, when you're talking about Beyond Words and these amazing crowdsourcing projects uh, and research projects that you guys are working on um, I assume there there must have been instances where you've seen people you know take the data that you've now sort of created out of the ether that you know didn't exist before and you've made these relationships between the data um, presumably you've seen people do pretty amazing things with them
2: yeah um, so one of the things that on on the lab site labs.lock.gov, that I really love is our LC for robots section mm-hmm. um, so this is a, a page uh, on the lab site that um, lists all of our um, APIs, which are uh, application programmer inter- interfaces that people can use to interact programmatically with Library of Congress collections and also data sets. And it gives a little bit of explanation about each one of them. And it also we also have um, sample code. So if people want to try their hands at interacting with the collections uh, programmatically, they can try it um, uh, using Jupyter Notebooks, which are um, really neat. This is a, a platform that people can um, sort of cut and paste different, uh, so they don't have to write things from scratch. They can take code that's already built, change it a little bit, um, and try new things. Uh, one of the things, uh, I mentioned the NEH data challenge and I, I really um, I want to thank challenge.gov and NEH for that because it's really um, helped me in my work um, explaining, so at, we work in libraries trying to explain what digital humanities is. Uh, it's a new and growing field where um, People are using digital tools to transform the way they study literature, history, the arts, Um, and it's really kind of hard when you use computational analysis of collections. It's a little bit um, opaque, but I can mention the NEH Data Challenge and how people use the Chronicling America historic newspaper collection to track how Bible quotes, how use of Bible quotes in newspapers changed over time, Mm. and correlate that with changing public sentiment. That came out of that data challenge, and. you know, it came out of the interesting work of, of colleagues in our in our field, and it helps people kind of get tangible, a tangible sense of what's possible. That's
3: great.
1: Do you guys find it in – I feel like it could probably apply to both projects. I noticed, though, with Challenge.gov, there seemed to be um, – I don't actually remember what section of the site I was looking at, but there seemed to be uh, a sense that there might be some ardent fans of Challenge of people who kind of track with Challenge.gov and are, are checking on a regular basis. Do you have sort of the, the phenomenon of people – who maybe create teams or who, who consistently enter into challenges and just uh, sort of become uh, fans of the project and are, are constantly tracking or um,
3: do we have repeat? Right. Yeah. As, not as It seems to seem that
1: there was almost, almost a community of sorts that had yeah. that sprung up around uh, challenge.gov. So there's not necessarily these disparate you know, companies, but it's, it's uh, a lot of people who become passionate about being able to, to participate in government in that way.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, true uh, for other areas of government, not just Mm challenge.gov. You know, we were talking just a minute ago about, um, you know, the initiative that you have that the Library of Congress has underway where um, you are uh, uh, engaging the public to tag photos and transcribe documents and so forth. That's another uh, participatory uh, role the public takes in government. The same place where challenge.gov is seated, um, the, the technology transformation service within GSA also has a program called citizenscience.gov. And citizenscience.gov is a place where people who are interested in, in helping government again can come and volunteer to um, transcribe, to uh, monitor, to document, to... Um, you know, really help serve as an additional force of people who are um, providing data to the government, empowering different programs. Um, and so I would love to see the Library of Congress get some of its projects up on citizenscience.gov. But again, it's another crowdsourcing effort.
1: And what, one of the, I mean, we, the sort of the, the overarching idea of even talking about it today is that, um, at least from from my standpoint, it seems like generally bad government or, or, you know, supposed bad government examples get a lot of coverage, whereas there can be you know, incredible things going on and nobody knows about them. And ha- have you encountered that challenge at all in, in your respective programs as far as even just getting, getting the word out uh, about Library of Congress Labs or, or the fact that you can participate? It seems like there's such noise to break through to, to let people know that these things exist, one, and that they can actually participate in them, that it seems like that could be a, a potential challenge for, uh, for projects like yours.
2: It's true, and I, I'm hoping actually to leverage some of Tammy's wisdom <laughs> and how people have gotten <laughs> um, their challenges uh, out. And I think it's really important. There are lots of ways that we can be responsive to citizens as as government, and I think allowing people to partic- participate directly mm-hmm. is one of the best ways that we can help people feel empowered. Um, I think crowdsourcing, inviting them to add their wisdom to our collections is um, helps them understand that this is for them and they can use it. Uh, I think it's really neat.
3: Yeah. This collective wisdom uh, is really important.
1: And is it? Are there? Uh, I mean, it kind kind of goes into to maybe maybe too broad a discussion, but you know, you you do hear a lot about just the state of the federal government. Obviously, it varies by agency, but you know, you hear uh, dramatic examples of the IRS using a, a computer from 1960 or using a, you know still using a language from 1960, that sort of thing, where where government can sometimes be a little bit slower to catch up just because. Of the, the process that necessarily goes behind it, um, th- there's also this notion of of startups in the private sector. You know, you're free and and kind of you, you can do whatever you want. Um, have there been, I guess, unique unique challenges uh, in in trying to do something that is, by I think, a general federal government standard, pretty unique and cutting edge? Or uh, um, have you generally found that? The, the, your your agencies have been supportive, and that you've you've actually had more, maybe more resources as a result of having the backing of the you know uh, uh, the federal government.
2: I wish I had something to say here that yeah. didn't sound super cheesy, <laughs> <Right>. um, but <laughs> no, I found uh, my yeah my agency has been enormously. I, I wouldn't even say supportive; a driver of the work yeah. that we do, and <clears throat> I think it comes down to like even our um, our staff attorneys, our general counsel are really interested. They were. Um, writing some of the first open source um, policies in the federal government. They are really interested in making our work possible and working with them. It was we, we um, As the legislative branch agency, we're outside of the, a lot of the regular rules that the other challenge.gov folks, people use. We don't fall under the Competes Act. So our, we had to work very closely with a, um, an attorney in our counsel's office to, to draft the rules, and he was really excited about it. And I think my experience in federal service has been um, one of true patriotism, people here mm-hmm. really believe in the work they do mm-hmm. and want to um, do it to the best of their abilities, and um, I, yeah, I feel really honored to be a part of it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to say that you know you mentioned the IRS mm-hmm. and uh, they they actually ran a prize competition where they were asking the public to help them uh, rethink how they display information for taxpayers and. It's really funny because when you think about some of the agencies that you think might be a little bit more walled off mm-hmm. to the public, um, here they are actually out there experimenting with these open innovation platforms. You know, you have intelligence agencies ex- ex- experimenting with uh, crowdsourcing. Uh, you have the IRS. You have the VA. You have, you know, HHS uh, looking to um, see what, how crowdsourcing can help um, hit at the heart of the 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 opioid issue, yeah. so uh, you know I'm excited by the number of agencies that we still that we see continuing to come to these open innovation platforms. They know there's value there. There's a critical mass of competitions that's been run now. There are case studies available on our site uh, that agencies can look at and review. And no, they're not the first ones to try this. Um, there are proven and uh, uh, results and. Um, I like to see them, you know, keep going for it.
1: And going back again just to the to the 750, uh, kind of the group that you mentioned previously, are, are there within uh, individual agencies, are there actually people right now who are crowdsourcing people? Is that, um, so, so the 750, are there, is that being pulled from different agencies? hmm Okay.
3: Yep. So there are. The, federal, uh, the Challenges and Prizes Federal Community of Practice okay. um, is this group of over 750 folks within government who are interested in learning more about crowdsourcing in actually practicing mm-hmm. uh, uh, crowdsourcing or running crowdsourcing competitions. Um, They're coming, you know, uh, many of them are coming to these gatherings, I mentioned these quarterly gatherings, to learn more about it and network with others who are using this open innovation platform. Um Within various agencies, you know, some agencies have, uh, a, you know, a number of prize experts that are you know, working on different initiatives. So um, and, and sometimes within agencies, they are crowdsourcing with each other. I mean, I mentioned that uh, our toolkit, our, our challenges and prizes toolkit was crowdsourced with input from across the federal government. What do you need to think about when you're running a prize competition, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the design and the execution and the awards and documentation? So,
1: yeah, And, and there's so many uh, interesting subtopics that come along with it, but we have to take one uh, last break and uh, then we'll have a, a, a little bit more time to, to continue discussing uh, Challenge.gov and Library of Congress Labs. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500.
0: Good morning, and
1: welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500. I'm joined uh, this morning by Kate Zward of the Library of Congress Labs and Tammy White of uh, Challenge.gov, and j- just discussing uh, digital initiatives within the federal government that that don't get a lot of attention, and both have an element of um, of crowdsourcing and of of bringing the general public in to to address problems that could be scholarly, that could be um, you know hard sciences based. Um, and I guess uh, you know, uh, with Library of Congress Labs having only existed uh, for a few months now, um, are there? Because uh, you have, I guess you have two sort of flagship projects, is that right? You have the Beyond Words and then the current Data Art project that's going on right now. Um, are there pie in the sky sort of down the road things that you you want to see done, g- given that you have access to the Library of Congress that, uh, that you really hope to see, whether it's you know in the works or not?
2: Yeah, but it wouldn't be a secret scheme if I talked about it on okay. live radio. So <laughs> <Yeah>. I can... <laughs> okay. Okay.
1: And I guess that, I, there, there's a, a similar question for uh, at challenge.gov. Um, you know, obviously there have been incredible success stories, and the fact that it exists at all is really kind of amazing to me. Um, but is there is there an ultimate you know future version of challenge.gov? Or are there still challenges that that you're looking to overcome or, or hone or or you know improve that? Um. things that you would like to see implemented maybe or additions uh, to challenge.gov down the road?
3: I would say that um, when the program launched in 2010, there were a lot of agencies that were probably more skittish about trying crowdsourcing Mm -hmm. competitions. They were afraid of being the first ones out there. Um, But I would say that their body of knowledge has grown. And so as they become more comfortable with this form of open innovation, their needs are going to change. They're going to try more complex more ambitious prize competitions. And with that, we have to evolve to continue to support those needs. So we will continue to do that to the best of our ability. Um, you know, that's that's what we do.
1: I mean, to ask, I just, I, I didn't even realize, you know, actually prior to doing the show and being here at the studio that you guys had worked together uh, previously. <laughs> so it, it gives a sense that the the world of, of crowdsourcing and of this sort of technical innovation within the government is, is probably a fairly small world or fairly, uh, you know, uh, and I guess I, I'm curious. You know, I've seen um, discussions of, of a lot of the different digital initiatives within agencies, whether it be 18F, whether it be Library of Congress Labs, whether it be challenge.gov. Um, and it, s- it seems like there's an increased interest right now in uh, blockchain, for example, and how can that technology be applied? Uh, I guess I'm just curious. Can you give me sort of a broad overview? What does that look like right now? What is the the federal government's... Um, Interest and, and research in technology and, and, and pushing forward on some of those things where maybe it has traditionally lagged behind. Um, it, it seems like it's it's kind of a good time for that in the federal government. But what what have you seen as a part of that world um, you know, from your side? What, what what does that look like? It's a sort of a broad philosophical <laughs> question, I guess. But just as, as you're mentioning the you know technology transformation group and uh, the group of, of crowdsourcing experts, it seems like there's a lot going on behind the scenes that again would likely not get uh, a whole lot of coverage in, in traditional media, um, but that there are actually a lot of amazing initiatives that are happening right now.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that as far as uh, GSA is concerned, the Technology Transformation Service, um, you know, its its goal is to apply modern methodologies and technologies to improve the public's experience with government. Mm-hmm. And that means helping agencies make their services more accessible, efficient, and effective. Um, and and making sure that we're being a good role model in that. So uh, all of the programs that we develop and design, you know, we we want to make sure that they hit those standards.
1: And can you uh, talk a little bit about the? I think you touched on it briefly, but we talked about the um, Mark Records Search, which is that that's one of the ongoing projects that your innovator is it innovator in residence. Is that mm-hmm. correct? That your innovator in residence is working on. Um, and so that that is essentially. Uh, a very a fleshed out um, ability to basically search the entire Library of Congress catalogs. Is that, is that correct?
2: Yeah. So for those of you um, who remember card catalogs, mm-hmm. um, I do. I um, do. Yes. <laughs> um, you can, you know, the equivalent um, today is the online public access catalog, the OPAC, um, which you can access at catalog.lock.gov, Um And it contains descriptive information about all of our holdings. So. When we get a book, we you know write down the title, but we also add additional information, our librarians add additional information like what what is the place that this the action takes takes place? Is it you know, Nor- interview with a vampire happens in New Orleans so that they add that to the metadata. And also, what is this about? Uh, what are the topics in the in the in the book? And so all of that data um, is now available. As data to the public, so not just searchable in the OPAC, but you can also download it and analyze it. So uh, we've seen a bunch of different visualizations of this information. It's been really exciting. There's, um, there was a researcher, um, in Texas who, visual, uh, did all the titles, and you can zoom in and zoom out, um, to an individual title or to see the whole scope of things. It's kind of neat. Um, but you you asked about um other innovative offices in the in the federal government, and I did. I want to mention two other cultural heritage organizations who are doing exciting work. One is the Smithsonian Transcription Center, mm-hmm. and they're doing uh, they're um, giving their collections um, to the public to transcribe. One of the projects of theirs that I really loved was the Phyllis Diller joke file. Mm-hmm. So Phyllis Diller donated <laughs> um, her jokes to them, and it was also in a card catalog format, so it was millions of jokes written in these um, 3 by 5 index cards, and they had volunteers transcribe them, and it reinvigorated her memory huh. people were like thinking about her humor but also from a scholarly perspective thinking about what 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 was humor what kinds of humor were women writing about in the 1950s and how did her humor change over time so it was this neat window into a collection but also really useful for scholarship
1: and was that was the uh, was that that was also karlsworth you said that was that's Carlswurst. Carlswurst. okay yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating so it's sort of the actual card catalog was that was her method of maintaining <laughs> jokes she basically just turned over her
2: yeah it was neat personal... she um she coded each joke by topic huh. So she could, if she were, you know, giving a talk to a car manufacturing association, she could go to Automobile and pull those cards out. It was oh, wow. Yeah, very clever. What thinking. Yeah. And also the Office of Innovation at the National Archives. They're doing really interesting work. And um, if you go into their catalog, you can tra- you can transcribe thing- items in their collection as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're doing neat
3: stuff. And they, they participate a lot in that citizen science community that I mentioned earlier. Some of their projects are available through citizenscience.gov.
1: And the citizen science. I guess I'm not. Uh, conclu- how does the citizen science actually um, differ from Challenge.gov? I mean, the citizen science seems to be actually more focused uh, in its in its scope. But
3: um, well, they're both forms of crowdsourcing. Um, the uh, in, with Challenge.gov, there's typically an incentive that's provided, and incentives take you know all different forms. It can be a cash prize. It can be um, access to a state of the art lab or facility to test a concept. It can be Um, uh, access to venture capitalists, media visibility, you know, those could be very attractive to a small business that's trying to um, grow. Uh, Citizen scientists, you know, these are um, folks who volunteer their time to help uh, track air quality or take water samples and look for uh, microplastics in the water. They're, They're people who transcribe historical data. They are... Um, you know, folks who will uh, do wildlife observation Mm -hmm. and counts. So, you know, these are folks who volunteer. Um, A lot of them are uh, incorporated into school projects with educators and students, and they're happening all across the country. Um, You could actually go to citizenscience.gov to find where projects are happening and how to participate in them. Um, I think that's another uh, area of crowdsourcing that we'll continue to see gain traction in government.
1: And uh, I want to give you, we're, we're coming up pretty quickly uh, on the end of the program here, but want to be sure that uh, everybody's actually clear on how they can get involved, how they can access the various uh, collections and projects that you guys are working on. Um, so Kate, the, the main, I guess the main URL is, is labs.loc.gov, right? Labs. That's right.
2: And, um, and you can also follow us on Twitter at LC underscore labs. Um, and I also did want to mention, we we have a federal appropriation to do our work, but a lot of the uh, fun and interesting projects that we do are funded by no donations. So if you've been to the National Book Festival, that's largely funded by donations. Um, and that includes our crowdsourcing work, so that's mm-hmm. been generously funded by donors. And if people want to donate, they can go to llc.gov slash donate.
1: Oh, I actually didn't realize that that was, that was <laughs> okay, so that's, that's fascinating. Uh, and then challenge.gov, I mean, I feel like that's, it's probably self-explanatory in the name, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, if I, I, I did actually have a, a question about, um, again, looking at challenge.gov as my nerdy self, you know, I, <laughs> uh, I know some of the maybe it's maybe this is a per challenge thing, but it looked like quite a few uh, were team based. Are, are all challenges team based or, or can individuals actually log on and participate?
3: Individuals can log in and participate. Okay. Um, so, again, certain agencies may encourage team formation just given the complexity of what's being asked for. Um, but it really varies by challenge. You know, individuals can participate. Sometimes they find others over the course mm. of a competition. You know, they're looking at the leaderboard and thinking, hey, you know, uh, maybe this is, I, I have a better chance at winning this if I team with this person over here. Um, so it's it's individuals, it's teams. It really depends on the challenge competition.
1: Well, they're both really fantastically uh, exciting uh, projects and um the what is the the status so the your innovator in residence because I know I guess that um, sort of drives a little bit of what you're focused on it seems um, so your current innovator in residence that just happened right mm-hmm. so that will run for a year before
2: um, I think he is I think his project is gonna finish around J- January or February
1: okay mm-hmm. all right and uh, is there any uh, without uh, prying into the the uh, secret secrecy <laughs> of the <you> know, <laughs> of the plans um, is there any timeline on when the next sort of project of Library of Congress Labs will be unveiled? or
2: Yeah, so we're hoping to actually publicly camp, compete next year's Innovator in Residence, and we'll um, have an announcement about that soon. Um, that'll be available on our Twitter account. We're also putting a, a mailing list together, so if you check the website, you should have more information about that soon.
1: Okay. Well, that so uh, just once again, that's uh, you know, Kate Zward, Library of Congress Labs, labs.loc.gov, if you want to check it out and uh, Tammy White, who works with uh, challenge.gov. And if you want to take on a, a federal government challenge, um, you can log in and, and create an account there. And I wanted to thank both guests for for joining me this morning. Um, and this uh, Fed Talk is brought to you by the federal uh, employment law firm, of, uh, Shaw, Bransford & Roth. And thanks for listening, and have a great weekend.